Would you like even more Witch Wave? Then come join us on Patreon, where you'll get bi-weekly bonus Witch Wave Plus episodes, ad-free Witch Wave episodes, and detailed show notes for all. Rewards also include magical merch and giveaways, early heads up about my workshops before they sell out, and all backers get access to our exclusive digital coven, where I lead monthly rituals and video chats, and where you can connect to a community of other wonderful witches. So head on over to patreon.com witchwave and sign up. It's a fabulous way to get more magic in your life and to support the show. Thanks so much. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. Hello, and welcome to The Witch Wave. So you might have heard me refer to myself in the past as a Jew witch. Kind of joking, but not joking. And what I've meant by that is, even though I'm pagan, I never stopped being Jewish. My family heritage and lineage is an integral part of my identity and my life. But it's also something I've had a pretty complex and very evolving relationship with. I turned toward witchcraft at a young age for many reasons, but one of them was that it offered me something that I just wasn't getting in temple or at Hebrew school. Magic, mystery, feminine power. And it wasn't for lack of trying on the part of my family's synagogue. I still remember being in elementary school and our temple swapping out our old prayer books for new ones that used gender-neutral language for the word God and which added the names of Jewish foremothers like Rebecca, Leah, and Sarah to our prayers. I attended my own mother's bat mitzvah because when she was a girl, women weren't allowed to have bat mitzvahs. Only boys could have bar mitzvahs. And so, as an adult, both she and my grandmother on my father's side decided to do what many other Jewish feminists were doing in the 1980s and 1990s and claim this rite of passage as their own. And I didn't realize it at the time, but in retrospect, it's clear what a huge impression this all made on me because it showed me that spirituality is not stagnant and it's not written in stone literally or metaphorically. It's something we can adapt and reinterpret and remake to resonate with our own time and our own hearts. And I believe that to be true of any spiritual system, not just Judaism or paganism. The divine is constant, but how we interface with it is fluid and mutable and deeply personal. As I became an adult myself, I still leaned heavily into paganism and various styles of witchcraft, but I started sometimes incorporating Jewish rituals into those practices. For example, the pagan holy day of Mabin, or Witches' Thanksgiving, always falls around the same time as Rosh Hashanah, also known as the Jewish New Year. And so as part of my Mabin ritual, I eat apples and honey, 
which is a traditional Jewish New Year treat that is supposed to bring sweetness and blessings for the year ahead. I also love how when you cut an apple in half, a secret pentagram is revealed with those five apple seeds inside that form a star. As I've gotten older, and I've talked about this on the show before, I've become more interested in connecting to my ancestors and finding the magic within Judaism, which just wasn't taught to me as a kid. When I was growing up, I was told that you had to turn 40 before you were allowed to start studying Kabbalah, which is a pretty old and dusty custom, and I was never taught about the many magical practices that generations of Jews took part in, from amulet making to herbalism to shamanic healing. Still, my great-grandma Faye's healing chicken soup recipe has been passed down for generations, and many of the women in my family have what we call healing hands. My grandma Trudy in particular was notorious for her healing hands, and allegedly saved the life of a horse by simply laying her palms on its flank. My genealogy research has led me to all sorts of magical clues and revelations about my lineage and my family's history, and I've also been overjoyed to find a community of writers and teachers and magical humans who are also uncovering the witchcraft and the feminine folk magic of Judaism. I'm so thrilled and grateful to have one of those pathfinders on this show today. Dory Midnight, who is an herbalist and scholar and sorceress of Jewish magic. But before we get to that, first let's check and see what's come through on The Witch Wire. Who is it? Witches! Ilana writes, Hi Pam! First, I want to thank you for the amazing work you do with this podcast. Your voice, words of wisdom, and humor have been a source of comfort over this last crazy year. On the last episode, you mentioned that you are starting to learn more about Jewish folk magic. As a witch who is also Jewish, this is always something I've wanted to learn more about. I've done some Google searches, but some of the resources I've found have been rooted in Christian ideology or have felt less than authentic. My family is Russian and from the area of Georgia slash Uzbekistan, and I would love some recommendations for resources to learn more. Hi, Ilana. Well, as you've already heard, the interview with Dory that's coming up in a few moments is definitely going to scratch your itch. But I also want to add a few more suggestions that have been really helpful for me. First of all, there are some books on Jewish folk magic that I found to be incredibly illuminating. Joshua Trachtenberg's book, Jewish Magic and Superstition, is one of the big go-tos. And shout out to my pal and prior Witch Wave guest, Peter Biebergall, for recommending this book to me. As a heads up, it was written in 1939, so it's a little bit dated to say the least, but it is such an incredible resource of lore and practice and magic, and it's the book that comes up on a lot of must-read lists on this topic. I also adored a book called Magic of the Ordinary, Recovering the Shamanic in Judaism by Gershon Winkler, which is one of the most beautiful and meaningful books I've ever read on any topic, but especially on this one. I think I ended up underlining like 80% of it because every sentence is packed with magic and inspiration. And a brand new book just came out, which I'm currently making my way through, and it's called Ashkenazi Herbalism, Rediscovering the Herbal Traditions of Eastern European Jews. And this book is by Adam Siegel and Diatra Cohen. And it's really helping to fill in some blanks. And let's be clear, there are a lot of blanks when it comes to Jewish magic, 
because of our history of persecution and assimilation and erasure. And so I'm also really grateful to today's thinkers and writers and teachers and online workshops by folks like Dory Midnight and Rebecca Erev and a lot of folks who are coming out of Rabbi Jill Hammer's Kohenet Priestess community, which is another amazing hub for feminine, earth-based Jewish mysticism. But on top of seeking this knowledge from outside sources, I would also really recommend that you dive into your own family history. Talk to your relatives, try your hand at genealogy, and also try communicating directly with your ancestors who have passed. I've been doing a combination of all of this as well, and it's been helping guide me to discover more about my people and who we are and where we come from. And it's a challenge at times because, as with many diaspora communities, so much has been lost. But I truly believe that there is great treasure to be found. I'm starting to find some of it myself already. And vast magic to be uncovered and remade in even more imaginative and rich and loving ways. So I hope that all helps. And I wish you many blessings for your own Jewish detective work. Keep me posted. Now, on to my guest. Dory Midnight is a mystic, herbalist, artist, and teacher of magic. You may be familiar with her gorgeous herbal elixirs that are available at pretty much every radical witch shop you can think of. She also practices intuitive healing, weaves collaborative liberatory ritual spaces, makes potions, and writes liturgy, spells, prayers, and poems. For over 20 years, Dory has been teaching workshops on ritual and remedies for unraveling times, Jewish plant magic, community care work, and queer magic and healing. I myself just took her Jewish Protection Magic Workshop a few weeks ago, and it blew my mind and exploded my heart open in the best possible way. Dory's work is supported and inspired by a web of teachers, dreamers, and co-conspirators in disability and healing justice work, queer liberation, and earth-based, multi-rooted, diasporic Judaism, and is in service to more love, more healing, and more freedom for everybody. What a living gem she is! Dory joined me from her home in Western Massachusetts via Zoom. Dory Midnight, welcome to the Witch Wave. Hi, Pam. I'm so excited to be here with you today. I'm over the moon to be talking to you today. I I'm still on a high from taking your Jewish protection magic course from a few weeks ago. And so getting this opportunity is just like such an honor. And I think that's actually a really good place to start. Jewish protection magic. What made you decide to develop a course with such a name and such an intention? Mm. Well, it was such a delight to have you there. And it was such a delight to teach. And I sort of come to this work as a practitioner. Most of my life, I have every year revisit the idea, like, do I want to go to rabbinical school? And every year I decide, no, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But, you know, I've been a practitioner of doing healing work for over 20 years. And, you know, most of the people I work with, have a significant trauma history. And so much of my work is about kind of helping people and supporting people to create a sense of protection, that we really need that sense of protection and being held, not just by ourselves, but like by supportive beings, by plants, by stones, by ancestors, by those allies, in order to heal. And 
so many of us don't receive that. Or if we do receive it, it can get really compromised by trauma. And in my, you know, many years of working with people, I myself have deepened into connecting with practices from my lineage from as a Jewish person. And I have just seen like how much that resonates for people, all people, but especially Jews to get to connect with this incredibly rich and profound and like wild traditions that are ancient, that are some of them embedded and like kind of hidden in things we already do, mm-hmm. which I love. I love practices and rituals and remedies that are kind of already happening where you just like, you don't have to like make a whole new thing up. Yeah. You're like, oh, wait, I can do this while I'm cooking. I can do this while I'm in the shower. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So like there's been such a hunger and such a desire to learn more. And so it was really like, I mean, I imagine you experienced this too. It really feels like there's this collective desire and some things just come through you and you're just like, let me bring this through to the people. And then there was just like, what an abundance. Like, I just felt like it was received with so much love and... (laughs) I mean, I, I'm just like, I'm I'm doing that thing where I'm shaking my head like with such joy because, which is such a funny gesture. I should be nodding my head with joy. But, you know, it really feels like a homecoming when I'm in a space where I am learning and reconnecting with my own lineage. And, you know, I'm going to speak pretty personally for this episode because, My listeners know that my journey, probably like all of theirs, probably like yours, has been an unspooling, winding one. You know, we talk a lot about following the trail of cosmic breadcrumbs and how no one's spiritual path looks like anyone else's. And what breadcrumbs led me to you, Dory, is I had been a fan of your elixirs and potions for a long time. And then I'm in this period of my life where I'm trying to reintegrate a lot of my ancestry and a lot of the Jewish magic that I might have been kind of aware of when I was growing up, but honestly, it wasn't really taught to me. I was raised Reform Jewish. So for listeners who don't know what that means, it's I always call it flexi-Jews, like we don't keep kosher. <laughs> you know, I had a bat mitzvah I still celebrate some of the holidays and and so on. But the mysticism of Judaism, certainly the folk magic and the folklore, just wasn't taught to me growing up. And so I think one of the reasons I was attracted to witchcraft is because I was searching for something. And I'm happy that I've gone on that search. And I'm reintegrating a lot of where that search has taken me and trying to weave it back together with the Jewish magic and my ancestry and figure out how to have this more holistic kind of perspective. Long story short, it led me to you in your more teaching capacity, and I'm just so overjoyed. And it it also kind of opened up this vein of gold in terms of all these other what I call Jew witches who are practicing now. I don't know if that's a word that resonates with you, Jewish, how you feel about that word and, and about the word witch. But I'd love to hear more about the community that you're part of too and kind of the resurgence of Jewish feminine magic that's happening. Mm, thank you so much for sharing your story. And I'm so just like, it's so beautiful to get to witness people's feeling of like a homecoming and of like, Uh, kind of integration of so many parts of ourselves, which I think that splintering happens for so many of us where like what we long for is to feel like we're braided together and that all of our parts get to live and be supported and be reflected. I think that's part of what brought that feeling of like joyous relief and like the ecstatic nature that was in that present in that workshop. And is like present in a lot of the teaching that I do where people are just like, drinking from the deepest, most delicious well altogether. Mm. Mm. It's like, oh my gosh, my ancestors like have been tending this well. And now I get to drink this sweet healing elixir. That also really resonates for me. You know, I was also bat mitzvah and I was resistant to Hebrew school my entire childhood. Like I was just like, this is 
bullshit, you know? Mm -hmm. And yet there's something that I think it really, for me, it like prepared the ground for me to be able to be in relationship with mystery and for me to understand like the function and the magic of ritual, you know, because I was raised in a way that I moved through a cycle of the year, like a wheel of the year, even though I wasn't taught the ways in which it was connected to the earth. Like I grew up in a spiritual community that was in relationship to the elements. Has a lunar calendar. Has a lunar. I mean, there's just so much in there. And then because of patriarchy and because of anti-Semitism and because of oppression and modernization and like in the maw of capitalism, so much of that magic was abandoned, was hidden, was peeled away, was drained. And so my parents were like, yes, you must get bat mitzvah. You need to learn Hebrew. You owe it to your ancestors. And after you turn 13, you get to choose what you want. And I was like, peace, I'm a witch, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I really resonate with that journey that like all coincided for me was sort of coming out as queer and being like a raging feminist teenager and just being like, fuck all of this. Yeah. Because I didn't know anything different. Like that was my relationship, unfortunately, with Judaism, other than like being around like my grandmothers and my great grandmothers who lit candles. And that was the part that I treasured. So, you know, I think like for me, my first community that I came into was sort of like queer witches and getting to be embodied, ecstatic delight and like liberation and like being able to like find my way back in. And, you know, it wasn't too long in my early 20s getting to connect with queer, weird Jews that those things started to integrate in my life and in my body and in my practices and you know, and as someone who is like a total nerd too, was like, and now I'm going to find these things in the text. And now I'm going to meet people who are doing the same things. And that has always been a part of Judaism. And I think like, it's basically been in some ways like a coping mechanism and survival. I mean, we talked about this in the class about the ways in which because Jews were persecuted around being seen as sorcerers or seen as witches because of Christian hegemony, especially in medieval Europe. Mm -hmm. But even before in Roman times, centuries and centuries and centuries of that oppression, Jews were like, we got to hide this magic. We can't not let them know that we actually are sorcerers. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) This is not what we're doing. We're just doing religion, you know? And so really it's like just finding the treasures and the gems that were already there. You know, I think what's interesting about it is it's not like, oh, I'm doing like some kind of witchy or feminist interpretation on these traditions. It's actually like, no, we're actually looking at what's inherent in the tradition that has been, you know, for many of us obscured. And I think, yes, like the community now, you know, I'm in many different kinds of communities of people who are reinvigorating and reenlivening and reconnecting to these ancestral wisdom traditions. It's an act of liberation. It's an act of resistance. It's a political act of like de-assimilation. It's an act of like the way that we undo patriarchy within ourselves and within our traditions and our practices. I just feel so grateful to be in this web of so many people. And, you know, and here we are, I really just feel like those breadcrumbs, those spiritual breadcrumbs you're talking about, it's like, those are like the threads, the breadcrumbs, the trails that some of our ancestors left for us that we get to find these practices and find each other. Yes, yes, yes. I think one of the things that happens, well, I'll just speak for myself again, there's also a lot of grief that comes up, a lot of grief around why didn't I know this? Why wasn't I taught this? And some of it is, I think, certainly assimilation and and Jewish people being so persecuted. And some of it also, to me at least, feels like misogyny baked into Judaism itself. There's a quote that I'd love to read to you. This is from the lauded book, Joshua Trachtenberg's Jewish Magic and Superstition. And in it, he writes, According to ancient Jewish tradition, women are inordinately prone to the pursuit of the magical arts. And then he goes on to say, 
Yet knowledge of the names through which Jewish magic worked was inaccessible to women, for it required not only a thorough training in Hebrew and Aramaic, which most of them lacked, but also a deep immersion in mystical lore from which they were barred. And Mm. that hurts my heart so much because... I know that women were practicing folk magic and healing, of course, and we have these amazing stories of Jewish magical women, and yet the fact that our own religion or our own community was misogynistic, as of course most communities were and still are, and that just hurts my heart so much, and it feels so frustrating and also exhilarating now that we're uncovering this together. Yes. I mean, I think that that grief is so real and feels like it's like that grief is like what soaks our hearts to be able to kind of compels us to learn more and compels us to kind of push against that narrative and push against that trajectory. Right. And it's so important to make room for and be with our grief and in community with our grief. That quote from Joshua Trachtenberg, it's so interesting, right? Because it's like, We're talking about the practices and traditions and wisdom of people on the margins, of people without access to institutional power. And we know from so many different kinds of traditions and cultures that those margins are exactly where like the power and the magic are, right? And we know that like the rabbis were learning from their mothers. We know from reading the Talmud, from like texts from the second to fifth century, that the rabbis were totally practicing magic, right? They were like, what's the difference between a spell and a prayer and incantation and, you know, liturgy, really? And there's so much power moves around preserving power. And because part of the project of Judaism as a living tradition, we are constantly remaking and rewriting this tradition. And in history, there was a project to preserve patriarchy and to preserve male power. And it was a project that was a lot about defining who Jews were based on who we weren't or who we weren't associating with. And so there was like a lot of purging of the magic, right? Of just being like one God, male priests, and who's writing the books? Who's writing the stories? Whose history do we get? We get these incredible texts that have so much between the lines, like what's not there, whose stories aren't there, whose names aren't there. Mm -hmm. And yet from those texts, we can also like really pull out what were the people in the margins doing? What were the women and the trans people and the genderqueer people and the people who were on the margins, who were accessing, who were speaking in the vernacular, who were praying in the vernacular. And so it's like when we find these like gems that are like, the tichins, the prayers, the Yiddish prayers that women wrote and said, or the precantes, the Ladino prayers that like women said at their mezuzah because they weren't going to the temple. They weren't going to the institutions. They weren't praying in Hebrew. We're in this project now where we're like, these are also sacred texts. Mm -hmm. These are also our sacred texts. These are also, these are our prayers. Who's to say that like, I mean, we get to say really like that, like the way that people without access to institutional power were engaging with plants and with ritual objects and with texts were doing deep magic and had deep spiritual practices. So there is so much grief because I have felt this way. And I know that a lot of people who like come into my classes and I work with feel this initial grief of sort of like, oh, there's like nothing here or the way that they're talking about witches, right? Like there's these different layers, like the piece that you read, there is so much in rabbinical text about women being inherently witches and that like whatever we're up to is sorcery. And like, you know, there's this quote in the Talmud that's like, if you see three women at a crossroads, you know, they're doing witchcraft, like just, (laughs) just being out in the street. You know, if there's like more than two of us, we're doing witchcraft. So I think like that, the grief and the pain of both the patriarchy, but then you layer on top of that, that in many of the cultures in history that Jews were living in, that Jews were also seen as inherently witches. And diabolical. And diabolical, totally. And so it's like, you have this push where it's sort of like, listen, we're trying to not look like witches. And then we've got these women who are like... (laughs) 
just up to witchcraft, you know, just sort of like the layers of shame and fear. And I think, you know, there's a way that like now there's something really powerful about being able to step into something and saying like, I'm going to engage with these practices, like that they're not in opposition to or outside of Judaism, like that it is part of that. And and I think it's a, it's a powerful practice, I think, because as we talked about in the class a little bit, like also is an act of like really pushing against a draw for cultural appropriation of really being able to like ground into one's own lineage. Absolutely. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Dive into the magic of stories with an independent witch-owned bookstore. From occult how-to books to fictional tales, the Spiral Bookcase carefully curates stories that give you a glimpse through the worn spot in the tapestry and a chance to transcend reality for a moment or two. Explore magical books alongside a bewitching collection of candles, tarot decks, crystals, and ritual objects, all hand-selected for their wonder and enchantment. We have to support our indie bookshops right now more than ever, so please go on ahead and visit the Spiral Bookcase virtually at spiralbookcase.com or follow along on Instagram for recommendations, sneak peeks, and more from bookseller and owner Victoria. That's at Spiral Bookcase. Look, it's hard enough grappling with our own emotions under ordinary circumstances, but even more so when the world is going through massive collective challenges. I am so grateful for my therapist, and even though I've done sessions in person for years, I've been pretty amazed at how effective online therapy has been for me right now. And so I can heartily recommend BetterHelp, an online counseling service which can provide you with your own licensed professional therapist to talk to via video or phone sessions. So if you have anxiety issues like I do, or are dealing with depression, stress, trauma, grief, or even just day-to-day struggles with your relationships or your family, or just feeling like you're not meeting your personal goals right now, which, let's be honest, has been very difficult for most of us these days, I really encourage you to reach out to the folks at BetterHelp. They will connect you with a counselor that you can start chatting with in under 24 hours. Now, a few things I really appreciate about BetterHelp is that it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, plus they offer financial aid to those who qualify, and they make it super easy to change counselors so you can find one that you really click with. Best of all, Witch Wave listeners, that's you, get 10% off your first month of counseling by going to betterhelp.com slash witchwave. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash witchwave. I believe that all human beings can benefit from therapy. I certainly have myself, and I'm so glad that it's becoming more accepted and more accessible to do so. So please pop over to betterhelp.com slash witchwave and find a great counselor to talk to. BetterHelp is confidential, convenient care, and you, my friend, deserve that. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Dory Midnight. I would like to dive in to some specific Jewish magic. And I'm going to go there, Dory. I want to talk about demons. I want to talk about demons because this is something that I was not taught in Hebrew school. I was not taught about Shadim. Can you share with us what Shadim are and why so much magic in Judaism is around working with or protecting oneself from Shadim. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I imagine like, what would it be like to have a Hebrew school? 
we're like have these traditions. I mean, I'm teaching my kid about Shadeem, you know? Yes. Shadeem and golems and Dibbix. <laughs> like I didn't learn about any of this. Yeah. I mean, we have our own fairy tales. We have fairies, you know, basically there are Jewish fairies. There are little malevolent beings and creatures and energies in Judaism that have been present in texts and in folklore from the beginning, thousands and thousands of years. So Shadim is basically often translated as demons, although some people, you know, will, we can talk about it in many different ways, right? And I think the questions that always come up, especially in many of our minds now is like, well, is that real? What were they talking about? Were they talking about bacteria? Are they talking, is it like a metaphor where people are talking about sort of like emotional or psychological states? I never find that question, is it real? That generative. It's like, what, what's fun about that? You know? (laughs) Exactly. And so I'm just sort of like, we're not going to explore that question. You know, we're just going to go with the fact that what people experienced was real, which was that they experienced that there were energies, harmful energies that they couldn't see. We all experience that, right? There's harmful energies that we cannot see. Mm-hmm. And so Jews, just like many cultures who have been in relationship with harmful things that they could not see, developed a lot of practices and rituals around organizing their lives, around protecting themselves from these things. You know, just like being human is so vulnerable and terrifying. There's many ways of interacting with the Shadim, right? There's like protecting ourselves from them. There's drawing boundaries, appeasing them, praising them. And, and there's also Shadim that are helpful too, right? There's like beneficial Shadim that like help the rabbis. There's so many amazing Shadim. Like they have, a lot of them have names. There's one that rests on a page of a book if you leave like sacred texts open. There's some that hover over the water and... You know, they range from like annoying, like <laughs> they hide your keys in your phone and your wallet, or they like, you know, mess with your house. Your plumbing. You brought up a lot of bathroom oh, yeah. issues. Oh, yeah. They love plumbing. And then to really intense, like baby killing stories, right? So there's like, there's the wide range of Shadeem. Exactly. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, Shadeem is the plural and shade is the singular. Is that right? Yes. And that's S, well, I suppose... I mean, that's all transliteration. I was going to spell it in English, but that's probably not helpful. <laughs> and, you know, perhaps the most famous of the Shadim we call Lilith, mm-hmm. who is somebody that I've done quite a bit of research into with writing about witches. But it's very interesting to me how Lilith, you know, she was this demoness who was supposed to kill babies when when they were newborn, kill them in their sleep. She would also seduce men. A lot of people blame, like, nocturnal emissions on Lilith. And there's a lot of folklore around her. And I love that she's become this symbol of feminine magic badassery. And yet I'm also like, I don't know that I feel that comfortable invoking Lilith because she has such a history of being this demoness. So do you have any sort of relationship with Lilith? Mm. Or are there other Shadim that you, I don't know, get a little bit more revved up by? (laughs) Yes. I mean, I think Lilith is so fascinating, right? Because it's like, you know that the stories about Lilith are arising in a time of patriarchy where like <laughs> any woman who's sexually liberated is this is the story, right? Yep. Is a demon. And so of course we want to reclaim her and be like, let's invite her to the party. You know, like we want this badass. And at the same time, yeah, she's really intense. Like, listen, I like all respect to her and it's not part of my practice to like invoke her or to invite her into things. Like I'm just sort of like, she's intense. She comes with some intense energy and we can hold both, right? We can hold all those truths that there's a way in which we want to like hold the complexity of these narratives. And to honor the dark feminine and the monstrous feminine, which I think is a really important part of like honoring our shadow and integrating and claiming our power for sure. Yeah, totally. And like loving the monsters, you know, I mean, I think that is like a liberating kind of magic. And also, like any witch knows, it's really important to like, 
create boundaries and have really clear intentions about who you're invoking and why and how you're going to like close it up. You know, that's sort of my feeling with Lilith. We just need to be really clear, you know, and I think like specifically some of the protection practices that are about Lilith are usually around pregnant people and babies and children. And those protection practices are so beautiful, whether or not you're thinking specifically about Lilith, but more about just the vulnerability of pregnancy and childhood. And so, you know, these practices of like wielding a sword and moving it around in a circle or, you know, all these amulets on the walls or, you know, putting rue or garlic on the person, on the babies, sliding knives under the pillow. You know, there's so many protection practices. The incantation bowls. Ugh, Dory, some of those images you shared with us of those incantation bowls. And for those listeners who aren't familiar with them, they're these, I believe, clay bowls. They would sometimes have an image of a demon painted in the center. And then what would you call it? A, a spell, essentially, a protective spell that would be written or painted kind of in concentric circles through the bowl. And I had seen these in museums and I'd seen images of them and I always assumed they were intended to just like sit in your house. But you shared with us that you were supposed to bury them and bury them upside down because they're supposed to trap the demon in the bowl, correct? Yes, they're demon traps. They're like these amazing technology of like, you know, people would bury them the way that they've been found archaeologically. You know, these are from like the fifth or sixth century, mostly found in like what was called Mesopotamia or Babylonia, now Palestine and Iraq. And they were found buried upside down on the four corners of the house or at the front door. And they were there as like a architecture, as like a technology to trap a demon from coming in is like kind of what many people have extrapolated from the way that they've been found in archaeological excavations. You know, there's some thought that they were made, there were like specific people who made incantation bowls who were like, that was their job of many genders that they were like, just kind of like the size of cereal bowls. They were like nothing special about the actual ceramics themselves, but it was the drawing of the demon. Often like the depictions of them are often like them wrapped in chains, usually in Aramaic, these incantations around that are like, you know, you are bound, you are trapped, you have no power here. This person who's the daughter of this person is totally safe from you. You know, these like incredible incantations. That again, like what we can read from those texts and the way that they're written and the way that they relate to sometimes bringing in texts from the Torah, even that this wasn't like fringe weirdos. This was like part of Jewish practice at the time in these places as a way to protect themselves. And in a way, it's like kind of amulet, right? They're like a physical place that we can like put our intentions and put our prayers into to create a field of protection around our home. Ugh. Dory, so I'm obsessed with the show The Great Pottery Throwdown. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's essentially like the Great British Baking Show, but for pottery. It's the best show. I cannot recommend it more highly. And it will make you cry and laugh and swoon. Anyway, I digress. I want them to do an incantation bowl challenge so badly. <laughs> like, this has been my fantasy. And I'm also fantasizing about making my own bowl for, like, my own personal demons. Like, I deal with anxiety. And I'm like, I need an anxiety incantation bowl, you know? Yeah. And so these are practices that we can still use and reinterpret and reclaim. Absolutely. First of all, may it be so that they do an incantation bowl on that show, which I've never heard of, but thank you it's for, the best. for that invitation, <laughs> for that delight. I'm very excited. I always, I love a contest show that's like, makes you love people even more. It's you know? so kind and so creative. It's on HBO Max. They are okay. not sponsoring this podcast. Check them out. <laughs> well, as my grandmother would say, from your lips to God's ears, may it be so that they make this show. Okay, you hear that, HBO Max? And in terms of making your old bowl, like, yes. You know, as I shared in the class, like some slides of people who are doing it, of like drawing a picture, how powerful it is to kind of draw a picture of what that demon, that demon of anxiety would look like. If people after this get so into incantation bowls, you look it up online and you see the images of these shadim in the bowls. And they look like, you know, one of them, my kid looks at one of them and was like, that looks like me. They look like kind of like kids drawing. <laughs> you know, they have like googly eyes. They're actually really cute. Little chicken feet. 
they have chicken feet. They have like spiky hair and like some of them are smiling and have like, they're cute. They have little tails, but like drawing one's what we feel like are our demons. Right. And then making an incantation bowl of this thing. That's just sort of like, you know what? There's so many different ways that we can protect ourselves. Right. And one way is to be like, I want this thing away from me. That's not the only way to protect ourselves and the only way we want to deal with things that we need space from. Mm -hmm. But that is one way to be like, I need space from this thing. I want this thing to stay far away from me. These are the boundaries. And part of that too, is something that I talked about in the class a lot that I think is really important is that like, we need to work with kind of like both mechanisms, this mechanism of like creating boundaries and making space and being like, that is what an incantation bowl does is like trap this thing and keep it away from you. And at the same time, some part of the incantation is around blessing. And like, how do we also in that practice, both move something away and fill ourselves up. And I think like that is a huge piece of protection magic is actually forging, cultivating and supporting more connection with things that make ourselves more ourselves that like fill us up with mystery and love and connection, connection to ourselves, connection to our communities, connection to plants, connection to angels, connection to like our allies and our ancestors. And so sometimes we have to move things away in order to make more space and really like feel what protection is there and be like, this is a practice that has been happening. Like my people did thousands of years ago. And that those blessings are actually really available for us to pull down, you know, and draw upon and be like, this technology is here for you. There's a practice. You don't have to make it up yourself, which is, I think a lot of us have done for many, many years. Like Mm. let's, let's create these rituals. And in the class, one of the things we did is we did a spell. We did kind of like an incantation bowl to be like, we are actually going to like do this kind of like binding of white supremacy of the prison industrial complex of all of the things that are harmful to like the most vulnerable people and move that out so that also we can invite in more blessing and more connection and more healing. Mm. On that note, ah, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. I am so excited to tell you about Maud's Paper Wing Gallery. Maud's Paper Wing Gallery is a queer, woman-owned witch shop and LGBTQIA plus gift store located in Pittsburgh. The witches at Maud's Paper Wing Gallery are passionate about personal growth and healing past traumas, and they have collected a vast assortment of tools and resources to support your spiritual and emotional journey. Join their virtual community by stopping into their weekly movie nights or their bi-monthly book club on Zoom. For a virtual tour of their shop and to meet the witches, you can join them on Facebook Live every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And of course, you can also visit the Mods Paperwing Gallery online store to browse a variety of crystals, candles, books, zines, I love a zine, stickers, and fun gifts that range from spooky to rainbow and covered in glitter. For more information or to check out their online store, head over to www.modspaperwinggallery.com. And Maud is spelled like Harold and Maud, M-A-U-D-E-S, paperwinggallery.com. And use code WITCHWAVE for 13% off your first order. That's modspaperwinggallery.com. Code WitchWave gets you 13% off your first order. Get something good. Welcome back to the Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Dory Midnight. So Dory, one of the things that I love about Jewish magic is so much of it has to do with language and names. And I know that a lot of it is derived from, you know, all of these different names of God that would allegedly unlock different layers of consciousness and power and mystery and and all of that. And, And I just find that so, so beautiful. But by way of getting us into talking about names, 
I'm curious about the name that you have taken on for yourself, Dory Midnight. Can you share as much as you care to how it felt to take on this magical name and where that name comes from? Dory is my given name. And my dad heard the name from this like folk singer in the 70s named Dory Previn, Hmm. who was a musician. And the only thing that I knew about her as a young person was that she found out her husband, who was Andre Previn, who's also a famous musician, Mm -hmm. had cheated on her and she like took all her clothes off on an airplane or something. And I, I don't think that it was a good experience for her, (laughs) but, (laughs) but pretty iconic behavior. Pretty amazing, pretty amazing response, you know, just like honoring that. And I was also a fan of taking my clothes off as a young person. So that's <laughs> Noted. where my name comes from. My Hebrew name is Dorit, which can mean many things. It can be related to gold and to being a gift and also is related to the word door, which means generation. So my name is sort of connected to part of my purpose here. And the thing I'm here to do is really to connect with ancient knowledge and ancient practices and kind of like bring them into relevancy for like what we're needing now and in the world that we live in. Yes, you are a doorway, Dory. (laughs) And my last name was my grandmother, my maternal grandmother was adopted. And when she died, and we were going through all of her papers and all of her photos, there was like a family who she was connected to as a young person, she was in, in foster homes till she was 14. And we found this family called the Midnights. <gasps> so um, that's their actual name? That's their actual name. Yeah. <sighs> and I was just like, I was with my girlfriend at the time. We were going through these things. And she was like, that's an amazing name. And I was like, that's my name. And I, you know, I don't know that family. I didn't know them growing up, but it just felt like, you know, at the time I was like in my 20s and I was doing a lot of like, I'd made this tarot deck. This is like a million years ago, Hmm. 20, 25 years ago. You know, I was reading cards and I made this tarot deck and I'd sort of like taken it on as like a little bit of like a stage name. But then it just was like, you know how it goes sometimes. Then it's like the name chooses you. And that is where Midnight came from. And so beautiful. So witchy, of course. And, you know, I'm a big believer in spiritual lineages as much as blood lineages. So it sounds like maybe you're tapping into some kind of spiritual lineage thing going on there too, perhaps. Mm. Mm. So I understand that you have clients and students that you mentor independently. Can you share a little bit more about how somebody might be able to work with you if not in a group setting, as I was so fortunate to be able to, but but one-on-one, a little bit more personally? This is a really great question, especially at this moment when I am, I'm sort of in a moment of taking a bit of a sabbatical from doing one-on-one healing work because I'm focusing more on teaching and writing. My practice is really full. And so I'm sort of slowing it down so that I can make more space for teaching and writing. It's really hard for me to do because I love... I love working with people one-on-one so much. And I'm sort of like, I wish that I could expand time. I'm like still working on that as sure as many of us busy people are. Yes, <laughs> like, yes. Yeah. So, you know, when I do work with people one-on-one, I, you know, I work with people a lot. I do intuitive work and, you know, I trained for a really long time with the two different people who do intuitive work. And one person was just like straight up called herself a psychic And I just like do really deep listening, a lot of connecting with people's ancestors and in a very collaborative way, kind of sharing the information that comes. And then from that, working with plants, working with rituals. What's interesting is that as as I share these things as a teacher, it's like, these are the things that I've been practicing for all these years. And so I'm in this process of like reading these ancient texts and being like, okay, this is like from the 16th century, here's this rabbi who used a shofar and these certain psalms to remove a shadim to like basically do an exorcism of a demon with this person. Like, how can I do that? Like, I don't have like a person, I, don't, I can't go to a class and learn how to do that. I can't go to a teacher. So I'm like, I'm pulling this stuff out and then just being like, okay, I'm like, I'm being guided to do this with people one-on-one. And 
after 20 years of like doing these things, I'm feeling like I can be that person to be like, okay, look, we have this in terms of healing modalities. Here's how you remove a demon. Here's how you can use a Havdalah candle to like pull some bad energy out of somebody's mouth. Take these cloves, put them in your hand, rub them all over your body, you know, tuck some garlic in your pocket, put salt in your corners. All of these things are in all of these texts and stories and places if if you just like look. So a lot of my one-on-one work is sort of like drawing on these things, bringing them forward. And like, sometimes I feel like I'm like kind of a, like a matchmaker, you know, where I'm just like, okay, you and garlic, I'm going to connect you to have a great time. Let me know how it goes. I think that you're a match made in heaven. Just so you know, garlic is polyamorous and is working with lots of other people. You know, there's people I've worked with for, for decades. And then there's people I see one time or let us see one time once a year. You know, my practice has looked a lot of different ways over the years. It sounds so, so glorious. And, you know, looping back to you finding things in texts, you shared something in class from the book of Enoch. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Is it Enoch? Enoch? I say Enoch. Okay. And this quote goes, the angels taught the daughters of men incantations, exorcisms, and the cutting of roots and revealed to them healing plants. Ah, can you share with us how you came across this passage and what it's meant to you? I mean, it's like a piece of gold, right? From, thank you, Book of Enoch. Here's this text that's like a non-canonical text that supposedly is like basically written by angels or channeled by angels. It's like a lot about angels. I found that piece in one of my weird, like magical library moments. It's from the Apocrypha, which is just like non-canonical text. And when I read it, I was like, this is a celebration. It was not meant as a celebration. Like when it was written, it wasn't like this amazing thing is happening. It was written as a, in this sort of like condemning way, right? Like here, these women are consorting with angels. You know, God only knows what they're doing with the angels, what else they're doing, but here's some things that they're doing, right? They're like learning these, these things that they shouldn't be doing, right? Like this is a lot about like women doing something that's outside of institution accessing power that they shouldn't be and practicing things they shouldn't be. And what I love so much about it is that it's like really about direct, like experiential learning, which is what I am like, that's my way. That's my jam, you know, like, and when I think about the fact that it says women, like I think of it as basically, it's like talking about people without institutional power. So it's like really people of any gender who do not have access to institutional power, who are learning things directly from plants who are learning things directly from spirit. And that the idea that what who the angels are, really like the angels are these messengers, right? That's the way they're described often is that they're messengers, that they're like mediating a relationship between humans and the divine and that they can move through things like plants, right? And so I love that you brought that in right after I was talking about sort of like, I'm learning from the rabbis. I'm learning from the text. I'm learning from the angels. And I'm wanting to facilitate direct relationship for people. Like be like, you get to just connect directly with this plant or here's this practice that we have. And while there's a lot of sadness and grief and there's so much longing, I mean, you saw the chat in this workshop. It was just like, and we are holding all of those questions, like thousands of questions a minute Mm -hmm. as Judaism is the faith of questioning. Yes. As all of their offerings, we're not going to always answer all of them. But like, I think that if we can approach this learning with this kind of like, oh, the angels are really available to continue to study with, to learn about healing roots, the cutting of roots, exorcisms, remedies, you know, all of these things that they're not in the text. Like we didn't learn them in Hebrew school. Our moms, our grandmas maybe taught us a few things. You know, it wasn't like, you know, that fantasy of like being gathered up into this beautiful like village home and like getting to apprentice, right? At the feet of some wise elder who's going to like show you how to grind the roots, you know? And I think that while there can be a lot of grief about the fact that I think for so many people whose cultures have adapted 
because of persecution Mm -hmm. and have shifted in order to survive that our ancestors also hid these gems for us. And they hid them like inside the mezuzah. They hid them inside the letters of the Torah. They hid them inside the Hamsa. All of these beautiful ritual objects and in the plants themselves. And in, you know, even if we're not in relationship to sort of like more traditional or rabbinic Judaism, there's so many ways to still access that and connect with it. I can still access this. Like, and I don't have to feel like there's some kind of like gatekeeping or I'm not Jewish enough or I'm too Jewish or I'm not the right kind of Jewish or all of these things that come up for all of us because we're in a diasporic culture, mm-hmm. right? Where there's like many ways of being Jewish, many identities, many heritages, just many ways of being and expressing. And so, you know, I think that this quote I think like it really speaks to the piece that you brought up at the beginning of like a homecoming where it's just sort of like, you don't have to know anything. You don't have to know Hebrew. You can come here with all the grief and all the longing. You can be exactly where you are and you still get to have this connection and have these traditions and let them come through you and speak to you in your own language, where you're at in a way that like supports you and your healing right now. Mm. Dory Midnight, I am quelling. <laughs> I just hope that I get to talk to you so many more times. May this be a beginning. I'm so grateful to you. I'm so grateful for your teaching and I'm so grateful for your time today. Is there anything that you feel compelled to share in terms of how people can find you if they also want to learn from you? Mm. Thank you so much for having me and for your work. And I just know that your own ancestors are quelling and are just like showering you with so many blessings for all the ways that you are drawing from the well and bringing forth so much wisdom and knowledge and possibility for people. So I just, I want to beam so many blessings back at you and your work and so much gratitude for creating this space for people to get to just be able to access. This is so important. So thank you for having me and thank you for doing your work in the world. Makes everything possible for everyone else too, you know? Thank you. And in terms of finding me, I have a website at story midnight. Dot com, And on there is where I'll post upcoming classes. I plan on teaching the Jewish Protection Magic class again, probably in the fall. I'm planning on doing a class specifically on looking at kind of witch and healer archetypes in Judaism. Yes. So not, I think you might be interested in that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe a little. I don't know. I'll think about it. Yeah, it's not really your thing, Pam. Yeah, so you can do that. You can follow me. I'm non-committal social media user, but I also post my workshops and stuff there and and you can learn more about my work those ways. Beautiful. Dory Midnight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for the show. Thank you again to Dory Midnight for sharing her Jewitchery with me and for being such a vibrant source of wisdom and radical love. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Drop us an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and you just might make it on the Witchwire. The Witch Wave is produced, written, and recorded by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was edited by Rachel Jacobs, thank you Rachel, and myself. Our sound engineer was Josh Wilcox. Our theme music is the song Hand and I by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Matt Freeman, Lara Antal, and Cece Pascal. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website and now buy Witchwave merch at witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and give us lots and lots and lots and lots of sparkly stars. It truly makes a difference and helps other people find the show. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Witchwave Pod. 
And you can check out my witch emoji for iPhone by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the App Store. Please consider picking up my book, Waking the Witch, which is available everywhere now. And if you want more Witch Wave or you would just like to support the show, please do join us over on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash witchwave. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave.